elaborate bento boxes, gourmet meals from a convenience store, and popping corks on New Zealand sparkling wine. This week, we're celebrating New Year's. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This is where food and travel come together at DestinationEatDrink.com, on the Destination Eat Drink YouTube channel, and here on the Destination Eat Drink podcast. This week, it's a brand new episode as we celebrate New Year's Eve all over the world. But first... For all you foodie travelers, I've got a bunch of new stuff at DestinationEatDrink.com. I just posted a new story about a very different bank in Porto, Portugal, where instead of money, tiles are deposited. You can read that at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. I also just posted a brand new video. This one is about my foodie road trip to Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Along the way, I even find a Portuguese pastel de nada. You can see that by clicking on the video tab at DestinationEatDrink.com or by going to my YouTube channel at DestinationEatDrink946. Okay, I'm ready for fireworks, some sparkling wine, and a Japanese feast, so let's eat. Destination Eat Drink. Monica Chasserato is a foodie tour guide and author from Venice. She tells me about the fireworks over St. Mark's Square in her city. What is New Year's like in Venice? Is it a is it a big celebration or has it changed over the years? Yes. So it used to be a big celebration. And uh, I remember, uh, I mean, things obviously changed worldwide with COVID and uh, in Venice too. So before the COVID, uh, Venice was beautiful because uh, there were these beautiful fireworks. Uh, they were made in front of St. Mark's. And I remember, oh, must have been about 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago. It was really beautiful. I actually managed, uh, I was invited for a dinner to the lady that actually, one of the, well, the lady that inspired my book, Chiquetti book. And, uh, you know, she was one of the historic cooks of Venice, uh, one of the most famous uh, places in Venice. She invited me for dinner. So you can imagine, you know, my excitement over food that I was going to have. And after that, when we finished the dinner, we walked from our house that is in Canareggio, we walked uh, all the way to St. Mark's Square. And it was very interesting because uh, uh, December used to be a month 10 years ago where very rarely we had the tourists. It was, you know, uh, just uh, over tourist stadia for maybe two weeks, three weeks. So they weren't really tourists, they were visitors. Uh, and I remember we literally strolled into St. Mark's, went to the edge of the water and within, with five minutes to spare, and then the firework uh, started and it was an amazing show. Unfortunately, though, uh, with COVID, they had to stop that between COVID and, you know, regulations and stuff. And I remember I went uh, again maybe three years ago uh, and we never even managed to make it to St. Mark's because uh, the place was so crowded because, of course, uh, you know, with a new uh, round of tourism and stuff. So I haven't been going for a while. <laughs> <at the laughs> moment. So I think generally what's happening, uh, what people tend to do in it is something Italian anyway. You tend to have a lot of private parties now, um, you know, and in Venice particularly, you have them in the beautiful palaces, in the beautiful homes and, and so on. But uh, yeah, I hope they're going to start do 
doing them again, the fireworks in St. Mark's, because they are beautiful. They, they, they are really beautiful. So, you know, uh, that will be very nice. It must be gorgeous to watch those fireworks exploding and then St. Mark's Square being lit up by the different oh. uh, by the different fireworks and the different colors. It just must be spectacular. It is. I mean, you can actually see it during in July during Re the Redentore Feast. That uh, is actually probably for Venice they're even more famous than the fireworks of New Year. Okay, and there is a show that lasts like half an hour. Uh, and it's amazing. You have all these people on the boats uh, assisting because uh, there's thousands and thousands of people that take part in, in the show. It's fantastic. But yeah, the fireworks in Venice. I remember years ago, I did it uh, a Redentore on a boat and it was uh, something unique. Oh, it, wow. is, uh, it is amazing because, of course, you've got uh, is this combination of uh, the noise of the people, the noise of the fireworks, the lights, the smell, you know, of the smoke of the fireworks, the dust that falls on you because you are literally underneath them, you know. Oh. Uh, it's amazing. It's really something unique. Definitely, definitely uh, unique. Even though, i got to say, I'm more of a person that, uh, because I'm very worried about animals, so I'm very worried about the fireworks for animals. So I hope one day we can do exactly the same things, but with drones, because I think it will be, you know, let's see, safer, okay? But still, fireworks is fireworks. What can I say? It's yeah. just beautiful. Yeah, you know, it, it is something to consider because, um, you know, as, as a person who loves dogs, it is... It is a terrifying time for uh, for dogs mm -hmm. because a lot of them are not used to this and they get very scared. And then you read stories about, you know, my dog got very scared and it ran away. Um, you oh, know, yeah. And uh, we have dogs every year in, in every, everywhere in Italy where the dogs uh, dies of an heart attack or runs away and stuff. So, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, for as much as I love fireworks, I mean, or they should be done maybe in areas where uh, they are not built up. So, you know, you don't have so many uh, people with animals and so on. But, you know, that's personal ideas and stuff. But still. They're still beautiful to see, though. Uh, you know, no denying that. No denying that. And the the drone is a is a great high tech way of doing this because I've seen at concerts now rather than having fireworks at the end, they have drones, and the drones are almost more spectacular because of their precision and the different designs that they can do. It makes it very very interesting to see that in the sky and all the different things Ex that they're able to do exactly. with drones now. Exactly. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I saw some uh, drone shows and it was like, oh, okay, I can go with this. You know, sometimes it doesn't mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm a very traditional person, don't get me wrong, but sometimes technology is good, <laughs> you know, for certain things. Otherwise, we'd still be using the, you know, uh, lighting the fires with a stone and, uh, you know... <laughs> And a stick. two stones you know <laughs> so yeah exactly so you know we, we do there is tradition and then there is also be able to move forward you know they're two different things bruce handel takes hungry visitors around his city of hakata in japan he talks about the new year's tradition in japan and how it's changed over the years bruce you've been in japan now for 38 years so you've seen 38 New Year's celebrations. What's New Year's Eve? What's New Year's Day like in Hakata, Japan? Well, New Year's Eve is actually, it's not like it is in North America. It's not like you go out and party that much. It's generally a family thing. Um, people will return home maybe once a year from Tokyo to their small towns. 
and hang out with the relatives. And it's actually a really intense time of work for the, for the, well, Japan's still very traditional. So the women do the cooking. And the idea is that women will prepare for days for New Year's so that they don't have to cook during the first few days of the new year. When I say prepare, they create these elaborate bento type boxes with all kinds of mandatory dishes that you have to have. And they vary depending on the region that you're in. There's a soup and there's loads of different rice dishes and different preserved vegetable dishes and different kinds of fish that you have to have. And we celebrate like with a wintertime food, a fruit, uh, the mecons, which are what, tangerines, I guess, mandarin oranges. And for me, the first few years in Japan, it was a really wonderful thing because we didn't have convenience stores when I got here. So you had to have this kind of traditional New Year's food and you'd be invited to a friend's house and the food would just keep coming. But see, with the advent of convenience stores and 24-hour stores and things like that in Japan, there's not the big necessity for the moms to prepare this food. So it's not as much fun as it used to be. I mean, they would, the supermarkets would close for a week and, and uh, you'd be eating this Osechi Jordi that had been prepared. And it was, uh, instead of watching football all the time, like we do in the States, we'd be sitting in the kotatsu. Now, I have to describe that. You know, the Japanese old houses, you used to sit on the floor and they would have this table with a blanket built into it and a heater underneath. And you'd warm your legs and you would eat at this table and read and watch TV and eventually pass out from eating too much. And your whole life was really fo focused on sitting on these tatami mats and sitting at the kotatsu. And all of that, of course, has changed you know, with the modernization of Japan. It's still, it's still available, I suppose, if you go to a traditional Japanese inn. But yeah, I, I would have to say that New Year's in Japan now is maybe going to a hot spring resort and eating all kinds of different foods, not just what used to be the standard thing for probably hundreds of years. It's still, it's a good time to travel in Japan because everybody's at home. Are places mostly open? So you're saying this is a good time to travel. Would this be a good time for tourists to come to Japan? Would they be able to enjoy stuff? Because I remember, let's see, years ago we were in Turin, Italy over uh, Christmas and New Year's. And so many places, we had a great time, but so many places that I wanted to go to were closed. I would, I would agree with you that it's probably not the best time for tourists to come over unless they had uh, a package, a full-on package, and stayed at a resort. That, that, would, that would cover all the bases. If you do that, if you book an inclusive tour, then you're okay. But you're right. You could go out into town, and, and it's always disappointing now when the restaurants are closed and people are, have gone on holiday. They've left their, their business to go home. So... The caveat is, yeah, it's a good time to come to Japan. It's cold, and it and and it'll be nice and quiet. The skies will be clear, but you should probably book into a resort type place or a traditional Japanese inn and have all your meals covered. That being said, if you don't, I don't know. We should have, we could have a whole program about Japanese convenience stores because they are mind blowing, and that is always an option where any time of year, twenty four seven. I mean, the food of Japanese convenience stores bears no resemblance to anything we, we grew up with growing in, this, in the United States. <laughs> Fresh foods, salads, incredible things like that. Oh, my God. Oh, I'll tell you. That is, it's, it's a gift from God, these convenience stores. And when I ride my motorcycle around Japan, I will inevitably, you know, I'll ride on a solo trip 
and I don't need to go to a restaurant and be alone, kind of awkward in a restaurant. I'll just go to a convenience store, grab a salad, grab some chicken that has been beautifully flavored and some potato salad and whatever and mix it all together. Um, but the kind of food, you could actually have really nutritious food at a convenience store in Japan. That can be done any time of the year. And the variety of things. Anthony Bourdain was a real fan of Japanese convenience stores. He's my hero. And I think of him every time I eat an egg salad sandwich from a convenience store. So this this isn't your mother's Seven Eleven, you know. This isn't going in for a uh, for a no, six no, no. six pack and some beef jerky. <laughs> no, no, this ain't your your Slurpee and your, and your potato chips only kind of store. You know, it, it, it's it's just night and day. What the Japanese got a hold of Seven Eleven? I think they bought the whole company, and they've just turned it into a real gourmet paradise. In fact, that's an interesting thing. They took the approach. They took the high road. They said we're going to turn these convenience stores into places where everything that you could possibly want is going to be there. And so it, it's not a compromise. You know, the prices are reasonable. The food is super fresh. And the seasonings and things, these exotic things that you can get, uh, inevitably are available at convenience stores. And I mean, it's almost shocking to say this, but I've prepared really gourmet meals for my wife, ingredients that I have procured at, at convenience stores in Japan. It's the same in Korea and Taiwan, but it certainly doesn't go all the way to North America. L. Armin Jones is the brains behind the Big Foodie Food Tours in Auckland, New Zealand, a place where New Year's happens in the middle of summer. L., you know, New Year's is uh, special in New Zealand for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's the first country to get the new year because of the way the time zones are cut up on the planet. So you guys are the first ones to get to celebrate the new year. And in addition to that, since you're in the Southern Hemisphere, New Year's happens in the middle of summer. So it's really a nice time of year. Tell me about how you guys celebrate New Year's in Auckland. Always ahead of the time uh, in Auckland. It is, uh, it's great to have the first uh, celebrations. The Sky Tower goes off. If you've been to Auckland, if you're coming to Auckland, we have this beautiful uh, tower in the middle of the city centre that does the firework display, and that is always just spectacular to watch. Um, a lot of the cities around the country will have local events going on. As you mentioned, it's summertime, so a lot of people have escaped from the city as well. They've gone to the beach. There's barbecues. They're at their beach houses. They're on holiday camping with family. So it really is a um, sort of Christmas is the family time uh new year's eve is the the friends time sort of traditionally with families um so anything from being in town great meal uh celebrating the end of the year the start of the new one with something special watching those fireworks or being out at the beach and i know the times that we've been away for new year's eve you know, there's nothing more fun than partying all night and watching the sun come up on a new year and knowing you know whether you make those resolutions happen or not uh it's the start of something fantastic yeah, for me, we were down there uh, 2018 into 2019, and we weren't in Auckland. We were actually down in Napier. And what you say is absolutely true because it was the middle of summer. I remember I was wearing shorts and a T-shirt on New Year's Eve, which is something we never did in Chicago. <laughs> we never did in Rhode <laughs> Island because you're freezing your butt off. You know, you're wearing uh, yeah. gloves and heavy coats and scarves. And, you know, you're like, oh, do we really want to go outside and watch the fireworks or can we just sit here and, and drink some more? Um, but I remember distinctly laying on those black sand beaches, just watching the fireworks go off over our heads 
And it was fantastic. It was an experience I will never, ever forget because it was so special in New Zealand, not just because we were the first ones to celebrate the new year, but because it's really unique to get to enjoy summer weather instead of winter weather when ringing in the new year. Yeah, I mean, 20 years I've been in this country, I'm still not used to um, Christmas uh, being warm, barbecuing. You know, it still should be, for me, um, tucked up around the family table with a big roast new year's eve was always in the pub or at a, a party and here it's very much be outside you know the fairy lights are on crack some great new zealand wines have beautiful platters celebrate with your friends um and even you know when my friends are having kids and we had all the kids crammed upstairs sleeping on beds um, when they were tiny babies we were still staring out of the kitchen window looking at the sky tower to watch the fireworks it's um it is a a unique and special place to be here for Christmas and New Year. Um, and I would highly recommend people come and enjoy it. I don't think I've had sparkling wine from New Zealand, but you guys make such great white wines. There must be really good sparkling wine that you're popping corks on on New Year's Eve. Uh, we have got some of the most beautiful method um, and Cremont in, I think the world, I'm biased, but I'm right. Um you know, locally to me here at Kimi River, they make a Cremont, so it's um, single vineyard grapes, making a, a sparkling wine. It is absolutely spectacular. Uh, down in the Marlborough region, we've got beautiful um, method coming off the, the vineyards there. And in fact, there's another family-owned business, just thinking about it, called Soljans, a, a vineyard in their fifth generation, um, about 10 kilometers from me. They've been making uh, a fusion sparkling wine, which is a, a sweet um the, the great varietals completely escaped me now I've started this, but Fusion has been, you know, one of their top sellers for years, really popular with weddings. Um, and it is something that is one of the first sparkling wines I tried um, in New Zealand and, and thought it was quite lovely. Polaris from Cloudy Bay um, is notorious when um, Cloudy Bay was bought by one of the French houses. You know, Polaris was beating some of the champagnes in blind tasting. And of course, that irritated the French somewhat. Um, but we do produce some, some really good sparkling wine here. Pauline Lee from Simply a Knack Food Tours is a foodie tour guide in Malaysia. She tells me about a dish for New Year's called Rojak. Pauline, we've got uh, uh, New Year's coming up, and I'm just wondering, what's the celebration for New Year's like in Kuala Lumpur? What would a typical New Year's Eve be like? Uh, in Malaysia, we all eat. It's all about eating with the 15 public holidays that we have, including New Year's Day. So, of course, um, most people would spend like maybe first half of the day or uh, an earlier celebration with the family. And then usually we would go to uh, Kuala Lumpur City to uh, near the KLCC or some of the tallest towers to have fireworks. And then, of course, these days it's trend to be in the rooftop bars, you know, also for the view and the fireworks. Sounds like fun. You said it's about the food. Is there one particular dish that's traditional that we would have to have on New Year's Eve? Yeah, it's interesting. I've been hearing all this one dish, like in Korea, they have something like that, in Philippines as well. But in Malaysia, we don't have what's this one dish. We just um, have, just like a typical Malaysian so we have a term called roja. Roja is a dish as well. It's it's a mixed fruit salad. Yeah. So I will have to end it by saying we do it the roja Malaysian way. Everything goes. 
mix of food, whether you like it Western, Eastern, Oriental, Asian, Malaysian, we have a party of different kinds of food. I love this idea of the mixed fruit on New Year's Eve. This is delightful. What um, So <laughs> for you, I, I know you said anything goes and there's all different kinds of fruit. But for you, Pauline, if you had your favorite Rojak, what would be in that? Ah, Sorry, Brent. So I was just going to say that with the Rojak, what I meant was it's a dish, uh, but it also on the side means that um, it's a mixture of everything. Okay. So what I was trying to say, it's a mixture of dishes that we whether we have it mixed Malay, we have it mixed Indian, Chinese, Western. So we have a mixture of food. So this would be actually a very Malaysian dish because not only does it have Malaysian influence, but it has all these other influences coming in as well. I think that's a wonderful way to bring in the new year, don't you? Yes, with different kinds of Malaysian dishes and street food all together. Satay, rotis, chakwetiao, siu pao, ban mi, mutabak. That's the way to celebrate Malaysia at least. <laughs> okay. Happy New Year, everyone. Have a great celebration wherever you are. I've got links to the info for all this week's guests in the show notes at radiomisfits.com slash DED265. And if you like this episode, please rate and review it on your podcast app. Thank you so much for that. Well, that's it for this week. That's it for this year. We'll be back in 2024. And next week, more good cheer and celebration as we enjoy wine from Florence, from Rome, from Croatia, even from Bolivia. Don't miss that. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and Ed Silla, a guy who washes down his Bolivia wine with Paraguayan scotch. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.